Well, hey, y'all, welcome. It's good to be here with y'all, and I'm excited for this evening. Um, hey, we are in the middle of a series that we're calling Glow Up because a glow up is a significant transformation, normally outwardly, but we believe that with God, with the Bible, with Scripture, we should be glowing up spiritually. And tonight, we're talking about thoughts. We want you to have glowed up thoughts. Uh, so we are in 2 Corinthians 10, and all my notes tonight are in, uh, the notes from the Bible are in the Bible app. You can go there, go to events, and check it out. Um, thoughts are such an interesting thing because they can come from so many different places. Like maybe you came up too early when you were supposed to talk, and you have some certain thoughts about that. Um, and sometimes you have thoughts where it's like, you just have this feeling or you have this thought or maybe somebody said something to you one time or maybe uh, you just felt like you, you failed in a certain area or whatever. There's so many different ways that we can think about our thoughts or can process our thoughts. Um, but the easiest way to process the way that you were thinking was looking back at like high school. Like you look at pictures or you look at like the things that you were involved in and you were like, what was I thinking? Why did I wear that? Why was I involved in that? Why did I try out for that club? Why did I, why did I participate in that team? Um, now, when I was, I'm a little older than most of y'all probably, so um, I wanna show you guys what is currently on Facebook as my oldest profile picture, and y'all are gonna think, what was he thinking? So they're gonna put up the picture of my oldest profile photo, and I'm on the right, these are, Logan showed pictures of his two older brothers, or of his older brother last week. These are my two older brothers, so that's my brother Aaron on the left, my brother Tyler in the middle, same name as my wife, it makes Thanksgiving fun. And then that's me on the right. And you can see in the photo, like my brother Aaron is four years older than me, my brother Tyler's two years older than me. Aaron knows that this is a joke. This is at my sister's wedding. Uh, we got pocket knives for our uh, like groomsmen gifts, and I think I was 15 maybe, and my brother Aaron's like, this is gonna be a funny photo. My brother Tyler's like, this is gonna be a joke. I was like, I might look cool in this picture because somebody's taking it. And you look at myself and you're like, what in the world uh, were you possibly thinking making that your profile picture in 2007? Um, wasn't a good thought. But thoughts are one of those things when I think about young adulthood and I think about people fresh out of high school or fresh out of college and in the workforce and there's so many changes that happens. There's so much like um, sensitivity and insecurity that can happen that you're like, you think that you're invincible once you leave high school and you're like, man, I was so foolish. I didn't know what people thought of me and I was so you know, insecure and nervous about everything. And then you leave college and you're like, I don't have like my people anymore, so I don't really know where I fit in. I don't know what my grouping is, and you're trying to navigate the politics of, of you know, your new college or your new job, and it's like, what, what are my thoughts? What are my collective, who am I supposed to be in this place? But some thought patterns grow and change, and some don't. And when we think about spiritual thought patterns and the way that we think, I think we all wanna grow spiritually. You guys are young adults who are at a church on a Tuesday night. You guys are doing more than 90% of the population. You wanna grow, but I think sometimes our, our growth is stalled because we're not able to see past some of the lies that we hold on to in our minds. Some of the things that we think, some of the things that we hold on to, some of the things that we hold is true because we've just never considered it. If you think about our enemy, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He was the master of lies. That's what Lucifer, Satan, was called. So he's going to do anything he can to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you think about spiritual growth, when you think about your thought growth, 
What is it? It's gonna be your knowledge and your love for God applied to your life, and that will be spiritual and thought growth. So Satan will do anything he can to, hit, to, to block you having more knowledge, more understanding of God's love. And even if you do, he'll, he'll compare you to other people. He'll have you compare yourself to other people. So you, man, maybe reading your Bible's hard for you, but you figured it out a little bit, and you're reading a little bit, and you're trying to grow, and then it gets to the application part of like, okay, now I wanna do what this book says, and then you have that comparison thought of like, yeah, but you didn't, you didn't grow up in the church, so like, there's no way for you to know what you actually are supposed to do. And this little thought of doubt, this little thought of negativity, this little attitude towards spiritual growth halts you in your steps towards spiritual growth. And you might be saying like, why are thoughts so important? I wanna read a couple of verses to you. Proverbs 23, seven. Now this is in the, the King James, because I like the way it's put. It says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 4, 23, you've probably heard this verse before. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. There's this attitude that it goes thought or heart to your thoughts, to your actions, to your habits and patterns, to your character, and then to the person. There's a natural progression of you have this thought, you have this way of thinking that changes the way that you act. It's so easy to see in high school self. I thought I was gonna look cool in that picture. It's also so easy to see in friends. You see it whenever something happens and you know how that person processes it and you know of some insecurities and you know that whenever something happens in a group of friends, that friend is gonna take it personally, they're gonna get upset, they're gonna go talk to one or two people. Why? Because their thought patterns are shaped a certain way that they think the event was about them when it really wasn't so it changes their actions, it changes their patterns, it changes their character, it changes the person who they are and who they're becoming. This is really important. Because I look at this group, and this is not the same group that wants to be the same at 30 as they did at 20. And they don't wanna be the same at 40 as they did at 30. And they wanna be when on their deathbed, and I pray that's in 60, 70, 80 years, that you are the most godly version of yourself. But I do think there's some things in our generation that stop us in our tracks. Let me ask you, when's the last time you set your phone down and things were silent? And you were okay with the silence because you were okay with your thoughts and you like the direction that your thoughts are taking you. That your thoughts played out over weeks and months and years are gonna take you to be a better version of yourself, a better Christ follower, a better friend, a better husband or wife one day, a better mother or father, or are your thoughts keeping you back spiritually? So I wanna ask you as we get started, what are your thoughts? What are the thoughts that dominate your mind? What are the things that you spend time on the way that you view yourself, the way that you view other people, the way that you view our world, the economy, politics. What are your thoughts? Are they negative or positive? Do they honor God? And then I wanna ask you, why do you think the way that you do? 
What are those thoughts, and why do you think them? You, you probably have some story that you could tell about the way that you think. I'm not here to hit you over the head, make you feel bad about some of the things that have happened in your past, but I do think it's important to navigate and name your thoughts and why you have them. I, Tyler and I watched this uh, documentary on the American Gladiators. This, anybody ever heard of American Gladiators? It was a show that was on in the 80s, and it was super weird. It was like kind of game showy, and there were these people that were like super buff, and they were big athletes, and then there were like average Joes that would like c- compete against them in games. And they came back and did this documentary on them, and one of the guys um, that they interviewed was one of those you know, gladiators, and he's this huge guy, and, and he started breaking down in tears at one point, and he's describing how when he was a little kid, like under 10 years old, his, his mother passed away. And it was this traumatic event, obviously. And he was on a plane to either go to the funeral or go see family with his dad, and he said he was just sitting there crying. And he said that this man on the plane walked up to him and got down on his level and said, hey, young man, men don't cry, men are strong. And he said, from that moment on, I knew I wasn't going to show emotion, and I knew that I was going to be strong. And that comment from a stranger took him so far in life to where now he's probably a 40-something, 50-something-year-old man, and he's crying in front of a camera. Why? Because he had this event that happened, and it so shaped who he is, and it shaped his thoughts and the way that he thinks and the way that he acted and the pattern of his life and his character and who he is as a person. Sometimes it's about one event. Sometimes the way that you think is shaped on repetition. Maybe you had someone in your life that said the same things to you over and over. Maybe it wasn't the exact same phrasing, but it was the idea of, man, you're not as good as your sibling. Why are you the way that you are? Why, Why can't you just be this way? I wish you were, and fill in the blank. You heard that over and over and over and over in your life, and now, without that person even in your life, it's still on record, and it's still on play, playing over in your mind. Why am I still this way? And sometimes we have a a pendulum swing where maybe we're not trying to be that person. Maybe we're running from that action that that person said. Those are words, and, and words hurt. Maybe there was a deep pain that happened to you. And that marks your thinking. And it marks the person that you are becoming. Maybe you're here and you're like, okay, I've got some objections. I have these core memories. I have that repetition. I might have some of that. What hope do we have for change? And we're going to look at the Bible, but I want to share one thing that gave me hope. We adopted our son. Um, It'll be... Uh, We picked him up in December of last year, officially adopted him in April, and um, all of basically 2022, me and my wife were doing um, education. We had to watch videos, we had to do online seminars, we had to do all these things, and I remember we did one about the brain and and, and parenting a child who's been adopted, and um, I remember it talked about 
um, how you parent children from different situations. And you know, some of the situations they talk about are anything from drug use uh, from the mother when, when the child's in the womb to uh, a history of mental illness, anything from anxiety to schizophrenia. And I remember so vividly the way that they ended it is they said the bad news is that the, the brain is pliable. The brain is moldable. The brain is flexible. It can be shaped and formed in the womb. It's like, man, that's so sad to think about how much good or bad that you can do for a child who can't do anything for themselves because they're reliant on their mother. And then the, the, the statement that happened right after that was, so the bad news is that the brain is pliable. The good news is that the brain remains pliable. Just because something happened to you, just because there's a pattern of it, just because it's what happened in your family for generations does not mean that it has to define you. Just because someone hurt you, just because someone said something to you is not the end of your story. There's hope in Christ. So we're gonna look at 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verses three through five. In 2 Corinthians 10, I'll go ahead and read it. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I want to talk about verse 3 as we get started. This is just the ground level, the groundwork. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. What you have to know about the battle against your, the thoughts that you hate, the thoughts that you know don't honor God, is that this is not you versus your, 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 your body, your mind, your, your attitude. Th- that's not the, the equation. What Paul is arguing here is that we don't battle with just our flesh and blood. It's not all just neural pathways. Now, there are some things that science is starting to back up that things can be changed in the mind that is proof of what God can do in someone. But it's not all just about neural pathways. We battle a a war that's bigger than that. It's a spiritual battle. It's something we can't just say it's just our bodies, it's just our minds. It's a spiritual battle. And for that, we need spiritual help. Look at the second verse, verse four. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. To destroy strongholds. That's my first point. Strongholds can be destroyed. Strongholds can be destroyed. You might be here and you're like, you were talking about the things that shape our thoughts. You're like, you have no idea. The pain that I endured as a child, as a, as a high schooler, as a middle schooler, would send anyone into shock. So the fact that my thoughts aren't as offensive as they could be is a miracle. The fact that I'm upright, that I'm vertical right now is a miracle. And you're, you're probably right, it is. But what that analogy here, he's using militant war analogies. He's saying, listen, we don't fight with just a simple attitude change. Make a couple 
gradual differences and see what happens. What he's saying here is there is a bigger power that is needed. He calls it a divine power that can take down strongholds. What the analogy would have been, I mean, they would have, they would have had the attitude of like people going and conquering other places. And what they had within a city wall was a stronghold where walls were probably somewhere between 10 and 20 feet deep. That's how strong the stronghold was. So all of the important military leaders, all of the political leaders, all of the, the socially elite would get inside of the stronghold and they would be safe. But what Paul's arguing here is that there are some attitudes, there are some thoughts, there are some things that probably don't honor God that happened in your mind that feels like it's 20 feet deep in concrete. It's not changing anytime soon. So you're sitting here and you're like, man, I love the idea of not having these thoughts anymore, but I don't think you get it. But what Paul's arguing is that we have a divine power, not something that's flesh and blood, not something that's brick and mortar, something that can not just get past the stronghold, but can destroy it, done, flattened on the earth, flattened. But it takes a divine power, not something that you and I are just able to do on our own. And I want you to, 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 to actually think about this. The internal dialogue that you have, that you go, man, it, can I be a believer and have this internal dialogue? This internal conflict, this, this strong opinion that I have that sometimes I'm like, why do I care so much about something that matters so little? That can be destroyed. The lust, the negativity, the cynicism, the racism, the anger, the prejudice, the self-hate, the apathy, it can be destroyed. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. Look at the tense. Do not be controlled, conformed to this world, but be transformed. It goes from a passive, from an active to a passive tense. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you might discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Your mind can be good and acceptable to God. But it takes us laying down, not an active. It's an active showing up. I don't want to be transformed, conformed to this world. I want to be transformed by you. God, change me. It's, a passive, it's an active and passive. We show up and then we say, God, you change me. I can't change myself. I know to show up. I know to be humble. But God, you have to show me. So I want to ask tonight, what's the stronghold? What's the stronghold in your life? What's the thing that's been there since before you knew, even knew it was there? The thing that was there at four and five years old, you were like, I know I'm different, but I don't know what. What is that line of thinking that you know is not healthy, that you know is not right, that maybe it was just a little annoying thing, but now it's turned into a stronghold? Because God's hope is that you would let him destroy it. It can be destroyed. That generational sin, that generational attitude, that generational inability can change, not because everything is just inside of you, but because we serve a God who is big and powerful and created the universe and is able to redeem anyone. That's why that stronghold can leave you. It can be destroyed. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can destroy that stronghold in you? 
You might look at somebody else and go, man, if you just change your attitude, that friend that takes things personally, if you just change your attitude, man, everything would be a little bit easier. God can do that for the things that you don't see in yourself. God can destroy those strongholds in you. Name it, identify it. My second point, so strongholds can be destroyed. My second point is thought cannot run free. If we're going to fix and grow our thoughts, thoughts cannot run free. A thought without the tether of reality can be paralyzing. You remember the game Tetherball? That game that had the pole in, you know, in the middle of the field and then it had a string and then it had a ball and your goal was to like hit your friend in the back of the head with that ball at some point. I don't care, nobody was trying to get it all the way around. You were trying to get it going so fast that you hit somebody in the gut and they threw up. That was the goal. But that ball stayed close to what it was tethered to because it had a line on it. It was tethered to something. It didn't run free. It didn't go across the schoolyard. It stayed tethered to something. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen is that our thoughts run away because they're not tethered to anything. Maybe you, you, you're, you're like, my stronghold is, and it's not really that big of a stronghold, but I just like worry about money a little bit. And you're like, I, I just, it's a little stressor for me. And then one of your friends announces to you, we got engaged. And you're like, that's awesome. And they're like, will you be in the wedding? And you're like, all you're seeing is dollar signs. And you're like, well, how much is the suit? Oh, it's gonna be 250 but you get to keep it, so it's your suit now, okay. Um, bachelor party is in six weeks. It's gonna be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday into Saturday, so you're gonna need to take off work. It's gonna be about $6.50 a per, and all you're seeing is like, I'm missing work, I'm spending money, and then you start thinking, how can I self-sabotage this relationship so they don't want me to be in their wedding anymore? Maybe if I'm just really mean to him, he'll be like, I'll find somebody else. You know, that's ridiculous and we laugh at it, but that's the line of thinking that we take sometimes. It's completely ridiculous. And once you say it out loud, it kind of shows the ridiculousness. But when it's in your head, you're like, yeah, I don't know about them anymore. Maybe if I say something bad around their back, they might not want me at their... If it's not tethered to reality, it can be paralyzing. And you see it in other people. You see it in your past but we can't let our thoughts run free. Maybe you have a negative view of yourself. And anything that comes across your mind, you go, oh, they did that because they don't like me. How'd you know that? Because I know that most people don't like me. And this attitude that you have towards yourself, you see all of life through the, the, the lens of that thought of, negativity, towards anger, towards self-righteousness. And you let that thought run, and it ends up being paralyzed. So you don't join the group. So you don't say that thing to that friend that you know that they need to hear, whether it's an encouragement or a help to them, and you end up just going, oh, they would probably take it the wrong way. Why? Because you're paralyzed by an untethered thought to reality. So how do we keep our thoughts from not running free? So he says here, for the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And then it says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And this is the part that always got me, and take every thought captive. 
And I think of like cap- captive, capture the flag. Like you're, you're going and taking something that's not yours and you're holding it captive or hostage or kidnapping. And you're like, okay, how am I supposed to kidnap my own thoughts? How am I supposed to hold hostage my own thoughts? And what's the ransom price? What, what, like what, how, how are we practically supposed to do this? Life is not linear where there's a conveyor belt and each thought comes across and you go, is this thought a good thought, a bad thought, a God-honoring thought, God-honoring thought further down the line? How do we practically take each thought captive? That what it says here is I, I want this for me and I want this for you to take every thought captive to obey Christ. There's a piece of it that says that each thought should be held hostage. What I think about is somebody that puts somebody else in a hold and says, you're not going anywhere until you tap, until you submit, and you honor God. So what do we do? Um, There's a a section in Romans that kind of mirrors this in 2 Corinthians, and it's it's Romans 8. Romans 8, 5, and 6 say this. For those who... who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For they, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set, the, to set it on the Spirit is life and peace. In Romans 8, he talks so much about we can have the mind of flesh or we can have the mind of the Spirit of God. That is the third member of the Trinity that Jesus called the helper that when you accept Christ, when you start following Christ and walking with him, the helper shows up and is there for you. And what's crazy is in John, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's like, guys, it will be better for you that I leave and I send the helper. And they're like, Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. You are God in flesh and blood. And he goes, no, 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 trust me, it's going to be better. And in Galatians, it says that when we walk by the spirit, we won't gratify the sins of the flesh. So what do we do? How do you take each thought captive? You walk by the Spirit. And you're like, okay, you're adding terms of things that I don't understand that are confusing in the Bible. I get it. That word walk, when it's used in the Bible, is for the most part talking about living. Live by the Spirit. Okay, again, confusing. What does it mean? How do we live by the Spirit? That means, I love the analogy that they use of walking, because when you walk, if I'm walking with you, I'm walking with you. When me and my wife first started dating, we were in high school, and um, we uh, were in high school, so I think we, we went out to eat, and then we went and took walks places. That's how romantic I was. And I remember we went and walked at this park um, uh, called Mastodon State Park, um, and we went and walked there, and I remember it like it was yesterday, and it still happens from time to time, but when she would walk, this is exactly what she would do. She would walk, and she'd take like three steps that were like angled to the left, and then she'd take a correction step. So it was three steps that was slightly to the left, just a degree or two, and then a correction step. And I'm like walking next to her, and I'm trying to like think about what, you know, we're like in high school, and I'm not very smooth, so I'm trying to think about what we're talking about, and then she's bumping into me, and then bumping back, and I'm like, what in the world is going on here? And what I realize is, I don't know why, still don't know why to this day, that's just how she walks. She takes three or four correct, steps to the left, correction step to the right. And I was like, what in the world is going on? But I, what I realized is that if I was going to walk with her, I was gonna walk in step with her, and I was gonna take two or three steps to the left, and I was gonna take a correction step to the right. Why? Because I liked her and I wanted to walk next to her. 
So what does it look like to walk in step with the Spirit? You're watching how he walks. You're watching what he does and making sure that you match your step to his. Oh, we're turning right. I'm turning right. I'm thinking about going straight. You're going right. I'll still go right. I'm thinking about making this career choice. Will you help me? Walk with me. God, I need you. What walking with the Spirit does is it's a daily and moment-by-moment dependence on, God, I need you, and I can't do this on my own. We have to walk with the Spirit. The second thing that I think that we can do to take our thoughts captive is found in John 10, 27. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I think this is a three-step process to how to take your thoughts captive. We hear the voice of God, he knows us, and we listen, we do what he says. So I'm gonna ask you some questions. Do you hear from God? And I'm not asking audibly, I know that that can happen. I'm asking if you know the word of God. You've read it. And I'm not saying that you gotta read it front to back, that's a good thing to attain to, but I also think it's just like, God, I, I'm gonna read where, where it's a good place to start in John or in Romans or in James or in Ephesians, and I'm just gonna read what I understand and I'm gonna talk to a friend about it so that I can understand it. Do, do you hear the voice of God? And then the next phrase is, and I know them. Do, does God know you? Like, is there a, a, any piece of this that is relational? Or was it like, listen, I know that I need Jesus to die for my sins and I'll go to hell without him, so I prayed the right prayer. But there's no relationship. So when you hear from God and then you know his voice, and he knows you, there's a level of intimacy there. There's a level of knowledge. There's a level of I know these people. And then the last step is crazy. They follow me, they do it. If, if I was walking with you and I said, hey, we're going over here, I know you heard me. I know you, I'm telling you where I'm going, but if you went, great, you're going over there, and you went the other direction, that's not following God. I think to take our thoughts captive, there has to be this filter that we see of, okay, that's, that, that doesn't look like God's word as I know it. God, you know me, is this, is this true, is this right, is this honest, is this scripture, is this what you have to say? And then saying, I, I don't know everything, but I, what I read today, I'm gonna try to do, and I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. That's taking your thoughts captive. That's so when, it, when a thought comes across your mind, you go, okay, this doesn't sound like something that God would, is God honoring, this doesn't sound like something that I've read about in the Bible, so I'm gonna hold it up to the light of scripture. And I know God, and he knows me, so he knows that, I'm trying my best and he knows that I'm walking with him and he knows the people that are around me so they're gonna help me understand God's word and then I'm gonna do what it says. That's taking your thoughts captive. That's having them obey Christ. And we can't let our thoughts run free. Third and last point is this, that God will open your eyes. I think if the goal is just to not have bad thoughts, that's a sad and ugly place to leave it. I don't think that that's where God would have us leave things. He opens our eyes. I want to read Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. Paul's giving his, his classic like intro to the people of Ephesus. 
And then he says, I, I love you and I'm thankful for you and I pray for you constantly. And then he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Listen to this. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The beautiful thing about God is that he does not leave you in the dark. He opens your eyes to the things of God. He opens your eyes to a thing called hope. That when you think about the things in your mind, is hope one of them? I think one of the things that should mark us as Christians is having the attitude that, hey, all might be going wrong. That, that verse in Romans that I said kind of mirrors it, says that so your outward body's wasting away, but you live by the Spirit. We should see the things that are happening in our world and with people and see it for what it is. What is it? We have a broken world, but God loves you, cares for you, so you can have a relationship with him, and he opens your eyes to see hope. Are you characterized by hope? In John 8, Jesus says the truth, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is not a truth, this is the truth, the truth of the Bible. This is the truth that says I know you even at your deepest, at your worst, and I still choose to love you. I see the track that you're on, that we were destined for hell, but God sent Jesus to be what we couldn't be, perfect, no sin, no ill thought. And he died where you and I should have, and he took all the punishment that God owed us so that we could show up in front of God and say, I'm perfect and clean, not because of anything I've done, but because of Jesus. And that verse in John, John was so good at double meanings in words. He says, the truth will set you free. He also called Jesus the truth. Jesus can set you free. That line of thinking that you have is not forever. It's not everything. I wanna read something that's at the end of verse 18 in Ephesians 1. He said, or Ephesians 1.18, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And look at the end of this. That he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now Paul uses this language all over Ephesians when he says that we share in the inheritance, that one day that we'll be in the presence of God and that we'll be with him that's not what he's talking about. He says that you are the inheritance of God, that you are the prize for God. You are his treasure. And to me, I look at this and I go, this changes everything because it gives me value when I don't see value in myself. When I look at my thoughts about myself and I go, there's a piece of truth in that. And I don't like myself today. And I don't like that I got angry and I don't like that I do things so people like me. God looks at me and says, you are my inheritance. I love you more than you could ever, ever know. You are my prized possession, a people that I will send my son and die for because I love you. This shapes our thinking. Because you are loved at a level 
that is not shaped by what you think about yourself or what someone once said about you, but the creator of the universe who looks down and says, you are my prized possession. So I ask again, what's your stronghold? And will you let God, with how much he loves you, destroy that stronghold? I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads.